everybody. Welcome to this morning's edition of the One Million by One Million podcast. We're speaking with Mohit Gulati of Altiers Ventures. Mohit is focused on the Indian startup ecosystem, and we're going to learn a lot about his fund, his investment activities, and also brainstorm about what's happening within the Indian startup universe. Welcome, Mohit. Great to have you here. Hey, Shamana. Thank you so much for having me over. Uh, it's absolutely an honor and a pleasure to you know, get onto this podcast with you. All right. So tell us about your investing focus. How big is the fund? What size investments are you making? Let's uh, get you introduced to our audience. Okay. So, you know, I'm actually going to give you, I'm going to start off with a slight correction on the name. Uh, so Altius is now going to be named ITI Growth Ventures, which is the Investment Trust of India uh, okay. Growth Ventures. Okay. Um, so we are, in, we are now going to be an offshoot of the Sun Pharma family, which is one of the largest pharma-focused uh, companies in India. Uh, we'd be targeting a fund size of 25 million, of which we already have 15 million in commits. Uh, and this is mostly from institutional LPs based in India as well as in the U.S. Okay. And uh, what size investments are you looking to make? Yeah, so you know, we're we very, very focused towards the early stage space. Um, I, I love to get my hands dirty and actually build businesses bottom up. And that's what I've been doing in my personal capacity over the last you know, four or five years where I've literally you know, gotten really early into some of the largest companies here uh, and build them ground up. So you know, ticket size is going to be restricted between 100K to about 500K uh, mm -hmm. USD. And with the ability to participate selectively in Series A rounds uh, for companies where we are uh, invested ourselves. Okay. Now, um, when you are willing to put in that um, that first check, what is your assumption? Um, you know, one thing that I'm uh, digging into right now is um, the shift in the seed capital ecosystem in the world. Just in the last, just in the last few years, there's been a a big concentration of micro VC funds that are focusing on broadly seed, but that seed they have now broken down into many different uh, segments, pre-seed, seed, post-seed, pre-series A, small series A, all kinds of different nomenclature has emerged. How do you uh, peg yourself in that continuum of early stage investing? So, um, I think, you know, Shavana, I'm going to use a more philosophical answer to this one. Um, what's happened is, you know, if you, if you look at the world in general today, we're in this hyper-liquid world where, you know, every, every single country is sitting on mountains of liquid cash. Uh, a lot of that cash is actually being able to find itself into listed entities, into stock markets, into bitcoins, into cryptos, and also in, you know, the early stage investing space. Um, of course, from a country-to-country country specific uh, basis, you know, you would, the definition of seed check itself varies. Like from for, for India perspective, a seed check would typically never exceed a 450K, while the starting check for a seed round in the U.S. or in the Valley particularly would not be lesser than 350K. So, um, you know, I'm going to give you more perspective towards, you know, the India scenario of things where, you know, since mm -hmm. we are focused towards being here, um, when you when you look at the seed stage here, there's a bunch of you know large angel investors who are cutting in smaller checks. There's a bunch of you know angel groups that are working there, and a lot of us you know which are the micro VCs. Uh, you know, if, if you compare us to a Silicon Valley, we are a micro VC, but in India we're actually a full full grown VC because 
uh, a typical Indian Indian VC would not, you know, make investment sizes of more than you know 350 to 400k in a first round. Yeah, fair enough. So, so I think it's you know it's more subjective with regards to which part of the world are you comparing it with. So, but the the real question that that is central to the um, you know life and experience of our audience of entrepreneurs is what kind of validation are you looking for before you're willing to write that first check? Are you looking for, you know, customer immersion, some sort of customer validation, but pre-revenue? Are you looking for revenue? Are you looking for business model validation, pricing model validation? What, what is the level of risk that you are willing to take? So I think, you know, what's happened is uh, because, you know, the, the ecosystems evolved pretty rapidly in the last three to four years, um, you know, we, we've come to a stage where there has been a little bit of lackluster a response with regards to early stage investing. Uh, by virtue of that, a lot of entrepreneurs have actually, you know, done a good thing, which is, you know, put their head down and said, listen, you know, these these guys are not getting it with regards to, you know, when are we supposed to get the, raise the money? Um, and at least on the idea stage, I don't think most traditional Indian VCs would have the appetite now to cut checks. Um, so most most of us are actually looking for some bit of validation towards the idea. It might not be, you know, a large uh, revenue line as such, but at least some part to revenue and profitability. Okay. So so you are looking for paying customers, in other words. That is true. As validation. Uh, also the fact that because we, we, are very, we, are, we are more focused towards B2B businesses versus B2C. Uh, mm -hmm. And the revenue monetization for B2B are slightly better than B2C. Because creating a yeah. brand in, in any country today is, is a Herculean task, right? Yeah. So let's double click on that. Talk about industry sector B2B, but what in, within B2B is your uh, interest area? For example, let me preface that with some of the trends that we observe carefully in the Indian B2B market and B2B SaaS. For example, there's the global facing B2B SaaS, and then there's the Indian market facing B2B SaaS. There is enterprise, there's B2B. Uh, sorry, mid-market, where, uh, you know, in, in all those permutations and combinations, what is your sweet spot? What is your preference? So I think, um, of course, one of the sweetest spots that we've looked at is B2B SaaS, which is global. Uh, because, you know, if you look at SaaS within Pure Play India, uh, most traditional Indian companies would not pay for uh, new age tech solutions. They, they, mm -hmm. they would believe in rather building it in-house than, you know, paying a young entrepreneur who's developing something. Mm -hmm. So, uh, in my opinion, SaaS within India, particularly, you know, for legacy in, uh, information technology companies, is almost redundant. Uh, where the play is, is still lies within the Indian sector is, you know, more in, say, healthcare, if you're looking at B2B healthcare, or, you know, verticals which are very niche. But uh, pure play B2B SaaS is definitely more, you know, towards a global perspective. But I think, yeah. you know, just if, you look, if you look at blockchain, right, uh, India as a country could possibly be one of the early adopters and the largest beneficiaries of the blockchain technology. And I'm not talking about just cryptos. I'm talking about, you know, uh, opening up blockchain across a multitude of sectors, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you know, we're looking at blockchain, you know, we're looking at blockchain companies which are targeting B2B retailers, oil and gas, healthcare, telecom. Public sector. I mean, you know, most most uh, record keeping within India is actually still on pen and paper and physical format. 
Uh, imagine right. how blockchain can, you know, exchange that. You know, we, we take a simple example of land records. Um, if you own a property in India, it's, you know, essentially you would have your name buried across some file which is deep inside, you know, one of the government buildings. Um, I mean, if if you can get a public ledger uh, with regards to, you know, uh, a blockchain being created on that platform and being adopted by the governments, uh, you're actually looking at, you know, transacting and land moving from one hand to the other, just like how a listed market entity would. And that is, in my opinion, a game changer, right? Imagine real estate being liquid, as liquid as the stock market, as, as, as liquid as a normal stock. Yeah, so... Um you know, there are, yes, there are lots of opportunities like that to uh, adapt blockchain in different industry segments in India. Agreed. I think the, the issue that we are dealing with in India-facing, Indian market, even if it's B2B Indian market-facing ventures, is, as you said, the adoption. There is a, I mean, it's such a long sales cycle. I mean, we've had company after company that have got stuck in that adoption cycle and it's a high cost of sale, high length of closing a deal, high touch requirement from selling, but low, um, you know, payoff. So that's been a very difficult area for uh, companies that want to get funded and uh, because it's just a slow uh, adoption curve, slow revenue growth curve, and that doesn't lend itself to, to the venture model. So by and large, our uh, guidance has been to the, um, you know, SaaS companies, for example, or B2B uh, software companies, is that to go for global um, B2B when it comes to companies that want that have the aspiration of raising funding. If you're bootstrapping, you can afford a smaller, uh, a slower sales cycle, and that's okay. Um, you know, so for some entrepreneurs, that may be the right strategy. But uh, if you are looking to fund companies, we we almost we've come to the conclusion that you kind of need to go global B two B. So I think we resonate each other's thoughts, right? Yeah, I I, I agree with that. Now, um, talk a bit more about the industry sector. You seem to have in the in your new incarnation of the fund, you have a limited partner that is a pharma. So does that have implications in what you want to invest in? Is that is healthcare pharma uh, a big category that you're looking into? Um, so, you know, we are very dominant on the healthcare space um, because, you know, we, we are actually instrumental in changing one of the largest healthcare policies in India. Um, and this Which is, you is know, what? this is the 1940, uh, the Drug and, uh, Drug and Cosmetic Act, which basically says that e-pharmacy e in India is a gray area. It's not legal, but it's not illegal either. So what we've, what we've gone and done is, you know, spoken to the Honorable Health Minister and uh, drafted a full-blown, full you know, 98-pager document, which talks about, you know, the implications of regulating the space, the implications of opening it up for all the e-pharmacies. And, you know, uh, because, because what the government is today talking about, both from, you know, the PMO side as well as the health ministry, is that they want to make drugs affordable for common Indians. And, uh, you know, I'll just give you a small example. A paracetamol would cost, say, a dollar when you're buying it in India from a retail store. But the actual cost of manufacturing that same pill is sub-20 cents or sub-10 cents. And there are mm -hmm. eight different layers of people who actually distribute and deal with, with that one medicine for you to finally buy it for a dollar. 
So our, our, our proposition to the health ministry was simple, that if, if you let a pharma company you know, give out its goods directly to an e-pharmacist, and of course you have a great layer of technology to verify the receipts and the prescriptions that are coming out, we can essentially bring that paracetamol to a doorstep of somebody uh, in, in sub-50 pence. You know, it could be even like 30 or, 30 or 40 cents. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes, healthcare is a massive focus, uh, but there is no diktat or there's no mandate given to me from my LPs. Uh, okay. You know, they, they are purely equity invest- investors. Right. All right. So uh, let's um, let's do a couple of things. I'd like to understand what you have invested in that is interesting and reflective of how you think. So talk about some of your current portfolio companies and what is it about those portfolio companies that this made you decide to invest in those? And then we'll also talk about the trends that you see in your deal flow. Let's first start with your portfolio. So, you know, um, a lot of people would have, you know, multiple ideologies with regards to investing. Um, I have a simple ideology. We're a country of 1.46 billion and technology by, by nature is so disruptive. Um, I mean, I see us facing a massive job loss crisis in the coming years. So yes. one of the core philosophies or ideologies of my investing have been job creation. Uh, can I sustainably create jobs across my portfolio companies and give a sense of employment and livelihood to multiple families? So I'm, I very proudly say that you know I've employed over 125,000 Indians o- over the last four and a half years. This is across three of my large portfolio companies. One of them is BBG India, which is uh, one of the largest uh, manpower companies, facilities management company. Uh, mm-hmm. They provide cleaning mm-hmm. services across the length and breadth of the country. Uh, okay. The second is Incom okay. Express, which is the uh, largest e-commerce dedicated logistics company in India. So we, we deliver from Flipkart, Mintra, Amazon, Jabong, name any and every e-commerce store in India. Um, you know, we have 18,000 delivery boys there uh, running across the length and breadth of the country. And the third one is Grab, which is one of the largest, it's, it's actually today the largest hyper-local food delivery provider in India. Completely mm-hmm. B2B. All three of them are B2B. There's no B2C angle to it. Um, whether you order food from Swiggy, Zomato, Food Panda, I don't care. I deliver. Uh, whether you order, uh, you know, parcels from Flipkart, Mentra, Jabong, I don't care, Ecom Express will deliver. And if you, mm-hmm. when you land into India, if you land at the Delhi airport or the Mumbai airport, it will be BBG boys who will be cleaning it. The ambulance services are powered by them. So it gives mm-hmm. me tremendous, mm-hmm. a tremendous, you know, pride to be able to generate employment and sustainably grow businesses. Very interesting. Um, and, and, you know, the other observation about India is that cheap labor. So I think ventures and ideas and concepts that take advantage of the um, cheap labor that is all over India um, are have an unfair advantage, have a differentiation capability. So, so I, I like um, the way you're spinning it. So I want to now pursue um, the trends that you see in your deal flow, in particular, I'm very curious about what other concepts are you seeing out there that have this kind of massive job creation potential and taking advantage of the labor uh, cost of India. So I think, you know, one of the key things that needs to be noticed, right, is that, uh, yes, from a global perspective, cost of labor in India is still cheap. But if you look at the average demographic of India, right, we are, we are a very, very young country. 
And by virtue of being a young country, which is consuming the internet like there's no tomorrow, and you know, you know about Reliance Geo, which has you know, been a sure. wave of bad broadband in India. Um, yeah. What happens is yeah. when young people come online, they see what's happening in the world. They see the world consuming brands. They see the world consuming cars and all sorts of random things. Um, and the aspirational values of younger generations uh, is on a high, like there's no tomorrow. I think, you know, this century probably will be the epitome of, you know, how much people are aspiring to make more money. It could be through crypto, it could be through anything else, but just the physical asset of owning a lot of capital is very essential. Uh, and by virtue of that, what's happening is that, that the younger so-called cheaper alt labor is also wanting to learn. It also wants to educate itself and create a new crop of people who are ready to, who are job ready and would like to be employed so that they can make that, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40,000 rupees a month so that they can buy that fancy car at some point in time that they, that they desire for. Uh, so it, it's, it's a very different kind of a twist between what's happening here. Although all of us are striving to, you know, give, give as much employment as possible, but it's not just about blue collared employees. It's also a lot of white collared employees who are out there waiting to you know, be given a chance to prove what their mantle is. So, but there are two, two or three different trends um, that need to be parsed within that. Uh, one is there is a job loss phenomenon that is, going to happen in the white collar because there is a, you know the IT industry which has been one of the biggest growth drivers for India for a while now um, is in the in a reasonably definitive course of losing a huge amount of employment because the IT services model is coming to a head um, so that that labor pool where does that labor pool go is a question that I've been noodling, and, and I'm wondering if that labor pool could find um, absorption within the SMB sector, which would give a huge boost to the SMB sector's ability to absorb technology and deploy technology, which has been a slow adoption curve. So, so I'd be curious to hear what your thoughts are on that. And then there is this you know, lower-end workforce that is aspirational, that, is, that wants to learn, that wants to climb higher in the... Um, income curve and so forth. And, and, and of course, the comment you made about all these people wanting to own cars makes me feel absolutely, you know, scared shitless because if India adds more cars, you know, millions of more yeah. cars into its already congested and, and terribly polluted system, I just don't know where the, that goes. So, uh, <laughs> so, you know, coming to SMBs in India, right, uh, what's happened in the last five to ten years is that the SMBs have actually been the, the most neglected part of our GDP. Uh, yep. Banks do not lend to them. Uh, most of their traditional businesses, right, which could be auto ancillaries, it could be manufacturing of chemicals or, you know, whatever it may be, most of them have been, you know, having a very, very tough last few years. So yes, technology could be an addition slash aiding driver for them. But at this moment, until our banks don't recapitalize the SMB space, it's impossible for that entire industry to wake up and say that, you know, hey, we're going to kickstart the economy all over again. Uh, right. What's driving right. India today is, you know, the large companies which are either in infrastructure or in, or in oil and gas uh, yeah. or the banks or, you know, real estate or and multiple other sectors. But it's not the SMBs. The SMBs have actually been a negative contributor to the GDP. Um, mm -hmm. So 
I take your point that a lot of you know old uh, and I would I would not like to say old, but I would say a lot of experienced information technology uh, workers are going to be coming out and saying that you know why don't I consult an SMB and why don't I you know bring in IoT or industrial automation within some of these SMEs uh, SMBs to uh, aid them. But before that happens, I think the SMBs need to once hit the reboot button and just get their act together. It's not their fault. It's it's the banks who've been so shy from lending to these guys. You know, we've mm -hmm. had such. So where a, do you think this uh, the surplus pool of IT workers? Where do you think that is going to go? So you know, it's it's all about timing, right? At this moment, that surplus pool of IT workers is working in their current jobs at a lower than expected salary, but they're just happy to be there and not lose their jobs. Uh, mm -hmm. But you're right. You know, it could happen like sooner than we expect. Maybe a year from today, you'll have Infosys saying that, "Hey, listen, I need to cut thirty thousand jobs." Uh, and what, where do those thirty thousand people find meaning, meaningful occupants? Uh, yeah, the forecasts are, are very scary. There are two hundred thousand jobs uh, that are going uh, in the next year, probably five hundred thousand in the next couple of years. So I mean, the numbers are really, really serious numbers. So you know, I, I totally buy that argument. What I feel is that. Uh, you know, saying that the SMBs can absorb that talent pool is wrong because the SMBs are... No, I don't think, actually, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm like fantasizing that if that could happen, that would give the SMB sector a big boost because I think yeah, technology I wish, would, would give them a boost. Happen, uh, to be very realistic, I don't think that's happening. Uh, what's yeah. happening right now, though, is that a lot of young entrepreneurs are actually joining hands with older entrepreneurs and saying, listen, you know, we are here to create something. But we are not necessarily savvy enough to build this company the way it should be. Sir, you have a 20-year experience working in, say, Infosys or Cognizant or TCS. Why don't you come on board and mentor us and help us build this together? And that kind of, you know, uh, match between the ecosystem. Uh, and this is, you know, this again goes back to the traditional groundingness of Indians as a whole, right, where we have tremendous respect for people who are elder to us. Uh, we don't shrug them off. And that marriage which is being made now uh, is actually working very well. If you look at Ecom Express, you know, one of my portfolio companies, and I'm going to brag a little bit about it. Uh, sure. When, when these guys set out, they essentially, between five of them, they had 125 years of experience working at Blue Dart, which is a large logistics company in India. Mm -hmm. And um, each one of them was above the age of 55. Now, typically, no venture capital fund would touch, uh, would touch founders of that age and upwards. Mm -hmm. uh, but these guys were very clear that we understand the business. We will hire a younger team to understand technology because we don't understand technology. Mm -hmm. And that blend of you know getting a younger team for technology and older people to run the business has worked mm -hmm. magic for them. Okay. You know, within, so your hypothesis is that a lot of these surplus IT workers with different levels of IT tech, uh, expertise will get absorbed by, uh, at least a portion of them will get absorbed by the startup ecosystem, the technology startup ecosystem. I would refrain from using the word will get. I would use the word should get if they are open and willing to uh, be absorbed. You know, what happens is the, is the older person always carries a lot of baggage with regards to what his expectations in life are. When you work with younger people, you need to come with a clean slate. Only when you have a clean slate to the office, that's when you're going to grow and that's when you're going to be able to build. Uh, clash of mental models. They're very difficult to get around, actually. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, switch um, 
the line of questioning a little bit, I want to ask you a few trend questions. So, you know, one of the issues that this is very much a U.S. issue, and I think it's an Indian issue as well. I'd like to hear your perspective on the Indian side of this equation. How do you process the Series A gap? So, um, the in in the U.S., there is a lot of companies that are getting seed financing. You know, in the I would say from 2013 to 16. We don't have this year's numbers yet, but 2013 to 16, I think each year there have been 50 to 70,000 seed investments. But the Series A and onwards number is reasonably constant at 1,200 to 1,500. So there's a, obviously a big drop off, uh, and, and you know, predictably these are companies that have not found product market fit, haven't found velocity, so they don't really qualify for the Series A. The Series A be um, benchmarks are much higher nowadays. Um, what is the transpose of this situation in the Indian context? Of course, there's not as much liquidity in the seed ecosystem in India. So how do you view the um, seed to series A equation in India? Sure. Um, so, you know, I think India is also facing exactly that same challenge that the number of seed investments happening versus the number of series A and upward uh, transactions. I mean, on, on a, each level, there's a funnel which is, you know, removing... Uh, so many good entrepreneurs out there. Uh, what, what I, what my personal uh, philosophy is, right, is only when the top of the funnel, which is you know the Series C, D, or the IPO market opens up, that's when you see the trickle down effect coming into the entire ecosystem. Uh, for the longest time, you know, the the biggest problem plaguing most venture as well as P investors was the fact that they were stuck in some of their investments made as early as 2007, 8, 9. Yes. Very this long. Never seen this is no, the year where people are going to be seeing so much money coming back through IPOs. And only then are you going to be active back again because you have money which you're giving back to your LPs. You're going to go back to them and say, listen, I made a crazy amount of money for you. I'm doing a larger, bigger fund. For example, the SoftBank Vision Fund. Um, I need more money to you know, deploy across CDC and D. And when you have more number of people coming in and showing interest in that space, only then can you, you know, push start this entire backlog of companies which are stuck between Series A, pre-Series A. I mean, in my opinion, a pre-Series A is literally one of the worst things the company should do because it, it kind of tells you that, listen, you've not been able to do a good job to either deserve the Series A and you don't want to shut down because you've still not got that badly screwed. <laughs> Yeah, um, you know, and, and then the truth is the, the companies that do not hit velocity are better built as bootstrapped companies because the velocity equation is what determines what should be a venture-funded company. And, and most companies do not have velocity. That's, it's hyper-growth is not a natural state. So, and, and it's, the problem with the ecosystem is that the ecosystem wants to ignore that fact, and that fact is a fact of life. There is no negotiating on that fact. There aren't millions of companies that have velocity. So, so this is where I think the... ...which have crazy velocity, right, in each country. Come again? I said, in my opinion, I think there's just five or ten handful examples yeah. in each country have that velocity. Yeah, there are probably a bit more in, in the U.S. because the there is a there's a very good market of early technology adopters, right? Early adopters of new technology, 
that has developed over a long period of time. So there's probably the numbers a bit higher, but globally, absolutely, there are only five or ten companies at most that would hit that velocity. So now we are operating with thousands of companies birthing every year, and they all want to raise venture capital. And then I think that's this is one of the things that we have tried to do with One Million by One Million is to educate the market that please do not view venture capital as the ultimate goal or as the ultimate success of your you know, journey. Um, because, you know, if you build a company, let's say you're, you you have a $5 million a year company and you employ, you know, some maybe 50 people, 100 people, and you have a profitable business, that is a success story in my opinion. As long as you don't have investors who are, you know, caught in a non-exit potential scenario. If it's a bootstrap venture and you have a profitable, sustainable business, that is an okay uh, you know, that's a very okay scenario in a country, or I would say in the whole world, actually, that's an okay scenario because people have to make a living. People have to, you know, people have to have dignity. And, and uh, you know, the way the world is designed today, a lot of dignity of life is having a good job, a livelihood, being able to raise a family and things like that. So that that concept is lost from how the startup, startup ecosystems are being developed around the world and that I have like endless problems with the with the approach and the attitude. So I think Shamana just to you know point on that right um, I, I think the buck doesn't lie only in the hands of the VCs or the investors but it's also the entrepreneurs. Um, at least Absolutely. in India you know, we see so much of fraud where you know entrepreneurs are just doing something for the heck of it because you know for the longest time, you know, there was this period between 2014 to 2016, or maybe about 17, early 17, where being an entrepreneur was a cool thing in India, right? Uh, yeah. I, I know people yeah. who were like, you know, we, we score dates on Tinder because we are an entrepreneur. Uh, right. And I said, you know, you right. guys are bound to fail, and you, you deserve to fail because you're not doing it for the right thing. A true That's entrepreneur correct. will tell you that the hardships around entrepreneurship are immense. Uh, there are very few entrepreneurs in the world who can say that, you know, it was a bed of roses and we just walked it and it was such a nice path. No. And, and that actually gives me a segue into my other question. India somehow or the other rather stupidly fell into the same unicorn mania as Silicon Valley did in that period that you just described, the 2014 to 16 time period and, and all this like unicorn chasing valuation inflation and, and, and this kind of mania around being an entrepreneur took off. I, I mean, I, my original thought was, okay, India is a more conservative country. People are frugal. People don't have this crazy, you know, excess-driven mindset, and we're going to develop a little bit slower, but we're going to develop more sustainably. But boom, in 2014, that all changed. And, and the last, and the three years, 2014, 15, 16, went exactly the same kind of unproductive, destructive way that it went here. Shamana, I'm not going to use names here, but it is, you know, two or three of the largest funds in the U.S. who have an India office who are actually to be blamed for this one. Yes, uh, I agree. I know who you're talking about. So how do you view this year? Is, uh, you, you, you seem to be a bit more uh, optimistic about the 2017 trends. Talk about what's happening with unicorn mania. How, are, how is the ecosystem moving? So I think uh, the unicorn mania definitely has dried down completely. People are not you know, talking about unicorn as a whole. Uh, because most people, you know, so 
the good part is all the froth who got into entrepreneurship just for the heck of it is out already. Um, it's only the real people who want to build something and you know be there to see it to the end are the ones who are still at it. Um, and they know for a fact that you know it's it's such a hard life to just get to that hundred million mark. The billion mark is so far away. Why even dream and talk about something which is you know not realistically going to happen in the near future? So I think people are entrepreneurs as well as investors are now getting a little more sane with regards to keeping more realistic targets for themselves. Um, it's it's always better to under you know kind of you know uh, under quote with regards to what you're going to achieve and then achieve higher versus you know the other way around. And um, the other thing that's happening for a while in India and and what uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this is that. Because of these longer cycles, you know, the exit is much later in the equation. So the seed funds, the early stage funds often exit into the later stage funds. Is that something that you're seeing still? Is that something that you expect to see still? Is that something you build into your practice? How do you view that trend? So I think, you know, um, at least I've had a great run with regards to exits in my own per- per- personal portfolio. Um, and for me, the the success mantra is simple. If you build a great friendship with the entrepreneurs that you're investing early on with, they will take care of you and your rights at a later stage. They will negotiate for, for you. See, when a, when a very large PE fund is negotiating with your entrepreneur, essentially you will not even get a seat at the table unless you have like right. a meaningful amount of equity. Right. Uh, so to be very honest, if you look at the pecking order of who can sell shares in a company, the entrepreneur is the last human being, right? I think even even the guy who serves tea uh, in his company gets shares, you know, which he can sell at a higher level than the than the real entrepreneurs. Well, so, yes uh, and no. That's another bad practice that has happened in the last few years. Is, um, is some no, of the latest stage funds to get into the deals, the hard deals, have given liquidity to the entrepreneurs. That has also happened. It's happened in India too. Yeah, so I agree that, you know, I'm not defending saying that, you know, entrepreneurs should be at the last preference, but I think just by virtue of how agreements are being structured, uh, it's unfortunate that they are amongst the last preferences, and which is where, you know, a relationship with the entrepreneur comes in in handy, where he can actually go out and say, listen, you know, this is the guy who bet on me when I was nothing, uh, and he deserves to, you know, at least make an exit at a good price right now. Uh, So please look at it, or, you know, at least Mm -hmm. talk to him so that you can give him something out. And that's actually worked very well for us, you know, where our entrepreneurs have actually stuck for us and said, listen, you better give them an exit, else I'm not taking your money. So you are, uh, you are exiting in uh, like yes, Series B, absolutely. Series C? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. So that, but that's not a common practice in the U.S., by the way. That is a practice that is more unique to India. Um, I think now, because of the proliferation of microvcs, I think people are starting to think about, and the, the other side of the equation of this unicorn mania of the larger funds like the soft banks and the, um, you know, NEAs who have very large funds and they, um, they are doing very large Series C, Series Ds. That's now the the concept of seed stage, pre-seed seed funds exiting into Series C, Series D is happening more or at least coming into the surface. But for in, in India, it's been happening for a while. Yes. Because also the fact is that, you know, our cap tables are so complicated with, with regards to, you know, getting the entrepreneur's equity, getting ESOP pools, and, you know, multiple seed, seed level investments. Um, and, you know, the, the fact is, right, 
uh, again, coming to the comparison between, you know, just that first check in the U.S. versus the first check in India, uh, it's mm -hmm. significantly lower. So by the time yes. the entrepreneur That's reaches right. the check size of what's happening in the valley, he's actually already diluted two or three rounds and has right. three different sets of right. on board. Yeah, that, and that five rounds of pre-series A is <laughs> downer for the cap table. Yeah, the the, the pre-series A, I think, really hurts the most, right? Well, I mean, I mean, if it takes you some five rounds of funding to get to Series A, that really does very bad things to your cap table, yes. I agree. So last question, Mohit. Uh, talk about the niche situation. In, you know, one of my observations that we were in 2017, end of 2017. So the Internet has been around for, the commercial Internet has been around for almost 25 years. Lots of things have been built. So the wide open opportunities of building very big, you know, multi-billion dollar companies are fewer. But there are many, many niche opportunities. And there's a lot of expertise, niche expertise, domain knowledge in niche areas and so forth. And, and I, one of my observations that we have to build some of these companies for very small amounts of capital, maybe one or two million dollars, and sold for 10, 15 million dollars, or even smaller, like invest to 5,500K, sell for five to 10 million. What, how do you parse opportunities like this? Is it something you invest in? Is it something you ignore? How do you see this? No, so I think, you know, uh, we, of course, would love to participate in opportunities like this. Um, if you've seen, you know, my portfolio, right? Um, I believe in building businesses which are sustainable, uh, which could be with or without external capital. Uh, so if there is a niche opportunity which, you know, you know, one can enter in, make a quick buck or even, a you know, slightly, I would say easier buck versus, you know, something which is more risky, I'm happy yep. to take part in it. Uh, and mm -hmm. because, you know, it, mm -hmm. on paper, it sounds very good to say that, you know, we are going to be the fund which is going to be uh, betting on the next Bitcoin-like opportunity out there or we are going to be the next Uber backers. Uh, but in practicality, uh, let's be honest, there, there aren't too many options left. Uh, the yeah. world has seen a yeah. bunch of great consumer companies. At the end well, of it, I think in India in particular, you have a cost advantage still. And, and the fact that you can, and just, it's just in the, in the built-in ethos of the ecosystem, there is frugality, there is you know, what Indians love to call jugad and all that, and, and people can be very scrappy and build something, sell, you know, get enough validation, and maybe the actual go-to-market happens through somebody else's channel. Maybe a strategic buys it, and you know, the maybe a zero to two million in in uh, revenue happens within the venture capital um, timeline, and then the actual, you know, two million to hundred million happens on, with somebody else's channel, and you don't really invest in channels. Channel development is very expensive. It takes a lot of capital to build a full channel. Uh, so absolutely, you know, um, I, I take into your point, and I think uh, the world has actually proven and showed it to everyone that the second mover advantage works better than anything else, right? Uh, often, so you yeah. might embark on something, but there could be someone who comes in that makes it much bigger than what you ever thought it could be. Right. All right, Mohit, what are your parting comments for the entrepreneurs in our ecosystem who are interested in working with you? Um, so, I mean, I, I won't have a parting comment just for an entrepreneur, but I have, you know, a, a life lesson that entrepreneurship has taught me. Uh, and I hope it, you know, benefits the entrepreneurs who are listening to this. Um, you know, it, it goes this way. Some of the best business ideas run by very, very mediocre people are bound to fail 
while some of the most simplest ideas out there but run by you know good set of entrepreneurs who are there to build something which is here to sustain are bound for greatness it might not happen today but it will happen in due course and which is you know if 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 you go back to what we started the conversation i told you that you know you're doing something which is great um, and you will see far more success than what you see right now all right well thank you for participating mohit thank you listeners for listening i hope you've been enjoying our series of podcasts and if you are please go to itunes and review the channel it would be great to see many of you at our weekly round tables uh, thursday morning 8 am pacific time almost every week we are available online go to the website 1mby1m.com free public round tables register to come and pitch your uh, idea and it's a working session we'll work on your business we'll work on your strategic roadblocks and help you figure out your strategy speak to you soon and we'll be back with another edition of the 1m by 1m podcast